This episode of Juice Crew Radio is brought to you by TriBest, making healthy living easy. Well, welcome. Welcome to Juice Guru Radio. Discover what the magic and power of juicing can do for you. And now, your host, best-selling author of The Complete Idiot's Guide to Juice Fasting, Steve Prusak. Hello, I'm Steve Prusak. Today, we've got Jordan Harbinger, once referred to as the Larry King of podcasting. This guy, Ooh. I've known him for years. He's been putting himself all over the world. He's a former Wall Street lawyer turned talk show host, entrepreneur, and coach. So get some water, some juice, some tea. We'll be back right after this with Jordan Harbinger. Here's another Juice Guru approved products. Hey there, Juice Guru tribe. Here at Juice Guru, we've tried a lot of juicers. Pretty much just about every juicer on the market, in fact. But the one we've chosen as our absolute favorite for the last three years in a row has been the TriBest Slow Star. Order your own TriBest Slow Star at the Juice Guru Tribe discount by visiting our website at juiceguru.com. TriBest Slow Star makes healthy living easy. Get one today. Juice Guru Radio. Well, I couldn't be more excited. I've known this guy for probably about 10 years now. Jordan Harbinger, I've seen the rise and the growth. It's incredible how many people he's helping. And one of the things he tunes into is the art of communication, how we can better ourselves by communicating. We're going to hear all about that, how to deepen our friendships, how to network, what that all means. And we'll hear about his journey. Let's welcome to the show right now, Jordan Harbinger. Hey, thanks for having me on, man. Well, Jordan, all these years, and you're finally on my show. Thank you. I, I owe much gratitude. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me on, man. Yeah, it's been a scheduling. It's been it's been an interesting setup with the scheduling, right? We I think we've had a lot of near misses in the last few years. Well, I remember way back, um, way back, maybe nine years ago, around that, or maybe even ten. And I was speaking at the New Media Expo about podcasting, and I had you and 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 your friend come on, and we shared. Right. Oh we sh- and, and you shared about getting on XM Sirius. And so that's what I'm saying. I'm like, whoa, we've ne- I haven't had you on. And I'm, I'm excited to bring you to our audience. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. That was so long ago, man. <laughs> Holy cow. I know, I didn't, you know, I'm in the now, but I just know we go way back. I just that's want everyone right. to know that. I think it's great. So let's talk about the art of communication. Talk a little about your journey and how you got to where you are now. You're inspiring and helping so many people. Sure. So I'm, I'm all, I'm available to talk about that. Was that a question? If it was, I missed it. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> I think you were just like, and take it away, Jordan. Well, I'm like, share your journey on how you got to yeah. where you are and in learning the art of communication, what that means in your own life. Communication fails, Steve. That's, that's, that's what that was right there. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> the art of communication, making sure that your questions have question marks at the end of it. Step one. Now that's this. It's funny. Cause as we get more fatigued, throughout the day, you know, having given a talk this morning, done a couple of other shows and stuff like that. It's funny how our cognitive faculties really take a a nosedive. And that might be a good sort of jumping off point because I think for a lot of us, we're like, oh, I'm a good communicator. And it doesn't really matter if you're a good communicator when you are fresh, ready, it's bright and early, your caffeine is just kicked in or whatever, if that's what you do. What really matters is your ability to rely on your communication when you're not really feeling it. And 
Because I, I don't think anybody who's in a relationship is like, yeah, I'm terrible at communicating when I feel like communicating and when I'm really on the same page and when I have a lot of energy. Usually all the misunderstandings and all of the downsides that you might say to communication or communication failures happen when we're tired. They happen when we're, we've had it up to here, we're distracted, things like that. So when we're overwhelmed with work. So it really is important to manage in, in many ways. One of the keys to communication really is just managing energy levels, right? Making sure that we're not even just picking the wrong activity for the wrong time. So some of it, yeah, look, you live with somebody else, you have a communication issue. It's because you're tired and you both live together. But there's something I've learned recently, or I should say implemented recently, learned a long time ago that I started really, really leaning into. And if I am feeling down or exhausted, I don't dive into fan mail. I don't do social media because the knee jerk problems that we run into are when some we're on, we're beat. We've just done our show or whatever. And somebody's on Instagram, like, Hey, I didn't realize you were bald. And instead of being like, Oh, well, this is a weird person with a weird comment. We've, we have a knee jerk emotional reaction that we would not have had if our willpower was intact, if we had energy to do this. So I actually frequently find myself scheduling my day and having my assistant schedule my day to match energy levels with activity. And I know that that sounds a little bit strange, but I think as science comes in on this more and more, we're going to start to find that your particular day is, you could probably map your day in terms of your energy level. Some of us are morning people and it's like, let's do the email in the morning. Let's do the commercials for our show in the morning. Let's do our videos in the morning. And then maybe in the evening we read. But I know plenty of people who all they do in the morning for the first three or four hours is read, watch things and let their brain warm up. And then afternoon and especially evening, they're on fire and they're not to be disturbed. And I think that for many of us going to school, being programmed to, all right, you got to get up at 7.30, even though you hate every second of it, and then you got to be productive until 2.30. Remember, that schedule was made by the administrators of schools. That was not made in the interest of what normal humans, especially young people, are set up to do. And unfortunately for most of us, if you're anything like me, you then went into the working world for 20 years and you went, oh, yeah, you mean I don't have to just get up at a school time and then work during the day? Maybe that's not for me. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs suffer from this. We're like, oh yeah, 9 a.m., you know, I have to get up and, and do my stuff. Or 6 a.m., I have to get up and do my stuff. That's a rule that you probably learned in kindergarten. Maybe it's time to take another look at that. Does that make sense? Well, let's talk about your journey because you, I mean, you went the conventional route, you went to law school and you became a lawyer, right? So what led you to become an entrepreneur? Because maybe people out there are still searching, trying to figure out what they should be doing with their life at this point. Sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm down for that. So essentially the way that I started was I, when I was in high school, I sort of coasted through things. Not that I was any kind of genius, far from it, but I was able to sort of coast through things. And then when I got to college, I realized everybody was pretty smart and I needed a new competitive advantage other than being able to teach myself geometry on a quiz. And so I started to outwork everyone and that was really all I had. And then I got to Wall Street and I became an attorney and everyone was smart and everyone was hardworking. And I never really wanted to be a lawyer, but I lost my competitive advantage and I decided that I was probably going to get fired until, unless I learned a new competitive advantage. And so what I started doing 
based on the advice of the guy who'd hired me was figure out how to bring business to the firm. And what I found was that it wasn't smooth talking sales guy skill set. It wasn't shock and awe. It wasn't great marketing skills. It was the ability to develop and maintain relationships in systematic ways that were scalable and that would actually result in getting people to know, like, and trust you. And that would get, that would generate business for you. So I started working on that skill set, thinking this is my key to get to the top of the law game. And as I started working on this, I realized that all these classes and things I was taking for like Dale, all these sort of like Dale Carnegie classes and all this stuff. If you're not getting a multi-million dollar contract for your law firm or whatever, it's not because you don't have a firm handshake or, you know, you broke eye contact or you forgot that the guy's kid plays tennis. Like that's what they teach you in all these Dale Carnegie courses. And there was something more nuanced that was going on. And so I decided to pursue that. And I was researching body language, nonverbal communication, vocal tonality, persuasion, influence, things like that. And that was the rabbit hole that I got sucked down eventually. And that skill set was what I started teaching and what I started talking about on my shows that I'd started 11 years ago, back when podcasting wasn't even really a thing. And that was what eventually grew into these multi-million dollar businesses, one of which I am now uh, running. And so that was the beginning of my journey. I was just trying to figure out, one, how not to get fired, and two, how to then get to the top of the law game. And here I am 11 years later, essentially a teacher, broadcast host, interviewer. It's, uh, it's been kind of wild. I mean, a lot of what you do is teach people to go to the next level, whatever that is, human performance and communication and other skills. Um, it, wouldn't you say you're, you're almost like a, a coach in that way? Yeah, I, I, I am, I guess, technically that. I do shy away from the term coach because as you probably have noticed in the past, let's say half decade or more, the term life coach has become synonymous with charlatan who sells, I don't even know, get rich quick schemes online and then tells you that the reason it doesn't work is because you don't believe hard enough. <laughs> so I do tend to shy away from things like that. Uh, I do educate a lot of corporate military personnel, civilians and things like that. And, and mm -hmm. so I like that. I prefer the term educator in a way because I'm not really as much of a motivational, inspirational type as I am delivering solid content and, and practicals. That said, you know, I, I guess at the end of the day, a coach is somebody who helps you achieve and learn a particular skill set and then gets you better at it. So yes, but I would love to separate that from a quote unquote life coach. If we can, if we can do that. You're going to watch the communication here. And by the That's way, right. thank you for coming to this email interview, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. You nailed it. Well, yeah. I'm looking forward to our email tomorrow. Great. <laughs> yeah. For those who missed it, it's a long story. No, yes. but you're doing lots of things. So basically as your career progressed and you taught, you know, a lot of people, the art of charm, you know, the art of communication, how to develop relationships with people. And now you've evolved into the Jordan Harbinger show and the work you're doing there where you're really taking all your skills together. And what you say, you're, you've learned so much along the path. Um, and what are you doing with that? What, what is the goal with the, with Jordan Harbinger show? The Jordan Harbinger show, essentially what I love doing, what I accidentally found was that by studying thoughts, actions and habits of brilliant people and then asking them questions that I enjoy, having conversations with them that I enjoy, I can get practicals and teachable moments from these folks 
that I can then have the audience apply to, for themselves. So I'm always, I was always that person who was like, I don't really need to be like motivated or inspired all the time. I want to learn from somebody like a Larry King. What's, what are the conversational skills he's using? How does he control the guests when they try to talk over him? I want to talk to a military general and talk about how they make tough decisions. I don't just want to be like, oh, you're so inspiring. You got to this high rank. I want to find out how he's making the decision or she is making the decision that involves people's lives when lives are at stake. I want to talk to uh, a con artist or a CIA agent and find out how they read people and get information. And so every episode of the Jordan Harbinger show, we create, our team creates these worksheets so that every episode has practical things that the audience, the listening audience can apply and use right on the spot, right out of the box. Because what I found again by accident was, which became a major theme of the show was that every characteristic a person has is a learnable, teachable skill. And so I want to elicit those skills from the guests on the show and teach those skills to the audience because otherwise you're, there's a lot of shows out there and it's like, oh, this is so inspiring. Do you need to be inspired that often? Do you need to be motivated that often? Personally, for me, I find that successful people, professionals and otherwise, and entrepreneurs and otherwise, what we need are skills and know-how that's delivered in a way that's palatable and interesting enough to keep our attention. I don't really need to just sort of like, see what's possible. I, I've got a lot of that already. Does that make sense? Real tactical. So you guys can find that at www.jordanharbinger.com. We'll actually have the link up at the show notes for Juice Guru Radio. So check that out. We're here with Jordan Harbinger. We're finding all about the Jordan Harbinger show and, and the art of communication. Because Jordan, would you say we're more disconnected in this world with social media and the, and the phones and all the distractions would you say that communication is suffering as a result? I actually have no idea. And I know that that's one of those like, oh man, he threw you a softball question and you blew it. You know, because the talking point from every talk, daytime talk show ever is, look at all this social media and people are more disconnected than ever. I don't know. Are we? I really have no idea. And part of the reason that I don't know is because when I grew up, I had internet at age 13. So I was early. I was starting early. I'm 38 now. And young people, it seems like, oh, they're measuring more and more loneliness or they're saying that they're lonely more and more. But are they, in, 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 or is it just a feeling of FOMO? Or does it not matter? Is, is just feeling lonely enough to say that you are actually, right? Is loneliness only a feeling or, or is it real? And so I tend to agree with you, or I don't know if that's your point, but I would, I, I would tend to agree with that generally because I think, look, if someone's saying that they feel lonely, it probably doesn't matter that they're surrounded by people that love them. If they feel lonely, then they are, in fact, lonely. And since we're registering more and more millennials saying they feel alone or that they don't have anyone they can really talk to and trust, is it social media's fault? I don't know. But are we more disconnected than ever? Yes, possibly, depending on the definition of that. Now, Well, I'm talking about face-to-face -face interaction. Oh, well, that... that yeah, probably. That goes with I I would say that goes without saying, but probably because I think our human <laughs> itch to be social is now being scratched by Instagram instead of being scratched by walking over to your neighbor's house because you're bored. You know, when I was a kid and I assume this is the way it was when you were a kid, if you had friends on your street, you would just kind of like roll over there on your bike and be like, "Hey, is Steve there?" and you're like, "Oh, yeah, what's going on, man?" I was right. like laying around in my backyard watching rabbits or something, or like I had a TV on a boring show. What do you want to do? You want to go throw rocks at a fence? 
yeah, cool, man. You know, like that's what was happening. But now I don't think anybody does that. I, I would love, I know you have kids. I don't, I would love to find out our kids. Like I'm so bored. I'm going to go outside. I feel like that does not happen anymore. No, they get bored and they're like, where's my iPad? Right. Exactly. You know, and that's how they connect, you know, and socially, you have to be in these social media platforms to really go on dates. I mean, my stepson's not of that age yet, but, I, but I've heard that's where it's going. You know, you've yeah, got to really you're be- you're about to find oh, out, man. Hey, um, Steve, how do I get women to swipe right? You're going to be like, dude, I've been, I was swiping right, man. We <laughs> called it something else when I was your age. You know, I don't, I don't know how you're going to handle that. I'm it's so- interesting, Jordan. Though. I mean, it is a different world we're living in, and, and it's just interesting to see how it all plays out. Um, now you talk about the power of networking. What can we all ben- How can we all benefit from networking more and bringing more people into our life that way? You know, really, what this what this comes down to. I have a couple of simple principles that I'm I'd love to teach, and then a couple of drills that I'd love to give, if possible. If you guys are down for that sort of thing. Yeah, oh, yeah, I, that would be great. Gr- good. Okay. Perfect. Because because uh, that's what I'm in the mood to do right now, and I can't switch tracks now. But I think the first <laughs> the first principle really. I'm getting hell yes in the chat box, and everyone's oh, just down with it. Good. Good. I like that. All right. So. First things first, you cannot make up for lost time when it comes to developing relationships. So networking is not, you're not born into a secret club and it's not a bonus skill set. It's not an add-on. It's not a to-do list item. This is a foundational skill set. And what I found is that a lot of people, in fact, most people, especially business owners, we procrastinate because we're like, well, oh, look, I got to write sales copy. I got to develop my product. I got customer service. I got to manage my team. I got to work on my social media. I know how to do all those things and I don't really have that much time. Why am I going to figure out this whole networking black box where the ROI is kind of a big question mark when all these other things have the capacity to generate sales or maintain existing consumer and customer relationships or create more content for my audience? Why would I dive into that? And the reason is because you cannot make up for lost time. You have to dig the well before you're thirsty and create those relationships before you need them because it's too late to put a spare tire in the trunk of your car if you've already got a flat, right? And so the problem that we find is that when people go, well, I don't really have time for this, it's that they're not prioritizing it. But let me, let me tell you, if you find that you have a problem or a need or you have something coming up or you run into a problem where you need expertise or your business implodes or whatever you're doing became illegal, you're going to find pretty quick that you need that network like you need oxygen. And if you haven't spent any time building and maintaining it, you are in trouble. You are going to be in a world of hurt because you're not going to have laid that foundation. And again, you can't make up for lost time. So, it is really about, yes, it's all about who you know, but don't put stank on it when you say that, right? Don't be saying that as a rationalization for why other people got something that you felt like you deserved. People should be saying that about you. And we can do this in a way that doesn't make us feel slimy, that doesn't make us feel disgusting, that doesn't seem manipulative or transactional. And that is really, that's really important. And I think for a lot of folks, they don't actually know how to do this. And so to kick the rust off, I propose the following exercise. I call this layoff lifeline. So for entrepreneurs, it doesn't, it doesn't really apply as much. But imagine that for some reason, 
the, the name doesn't apply. The exercise absolutely applies. Imagine for some reason you got laid off from your job or your business implodes, or like I said, it becomes illegal depending on what you're selling and where. Make a list of the 10 to 15 people that you'd, you'd contact to solicit their advice on what to do next. I don't mean for funding. And I don't mean for emotional support. I don't, you know, your parents don't have to be on that list. Don't write down, you know, oh, I'd call my banker and see if I can get an emergency loan. That's not really what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people that you can lean on for advice. And the reason that this particular category is important is because chances are there's this whole list of people, 10 to 15 at least, who I would say are weaker and dormant ties. And this is like the college professor that really influenced you, your old boss where you worked at that one company that taught you all that amazing stuff, a couple of neighbors that ran a successful business that you lost touch with, this other person in your industry who's kind of on the same page as you, but you're both so busy, you never get together. Make that list and then reach out to those people now when you don't have an agenda and you don't need anything specifically. And this does a couple of things. One, it gets momentum and it ends the cycle of procrastination, right? It kicks off a little bit of the rust because again, this is really the one area of your life in business where you can't make up for lost time. And by the time you need these relationships, it's already too late to start. But last but, last but not least, what it does is it makes things less awkward because I think a lot of people don't reach out to others because they go, oh, well, you know, it's so awkward to reach out to people. I hate doing it. I don't really want to do it. I don't have a plan. The reason that this is awkward is because if you know that you haven't done anything to keep up with someone for like two years or three or six months even, and then suddenly you're like, hey, Steve, what's up? Long time no see. Can you sell my dog shampoo to your email list? It's like, yeah, that's awkward because you know that you're reaching out and you don't care about Steve's new haircut. You don't care about his, you know, family life. None of that. You just want him to sell your crap. And so you feel bad yeah. and you, you feel awkward. See right, you see right through that. You, you know? see through it. And you know you're the a-hole. I hope I can say a-hole. Oh, yeah. This is, okay. this is iHeartRadio. So you know you're the a-hole because you know you're the one who didn't put any effort into anything, right? And so that is why it's awkward. It's not awkward because you had to reach out to an old friend. It's not awkward. Reaching out to somebody who's, who you haven't talked to in three or four months, that's not awkward. That's, hey, man, it's been crazy. What's going on with you? That's not awkward. What's awkward is asking for something when you have absolutely no reason whatsoever to think that that person might say yes other than you need them to promote your stuff because you're in a book launch and you didn't do any of the work. You didn't lay any of the foundations. And so that's a problem. And so I really recommend the layoff lifelines exercise because it will shake the rust off and you'll find, oh, this is actually pretty fun. And those weak and dormant ties that you put on that list, there's a good chance that the reason those people came top of mind was they've been in the back of your head for a while as the people where you went, I really should reach out to that person, but uh, I don't know, life is so crazy and I'm at Whole Foods right now, so I can't, Right. This is the list of long overdue, hey, I should reach out to folks. And I know people are thinking, well, what do I say? I, I, don't, have, I don't know what to do, so I'm not going to do it. The script, and I put this in air quotes, the script is, hey, person's name, been a, been a long time. And if you have to remind them where you met because it's actually been that long, then go ahead and do that. I'd love an update on what you're doing. Here's a little bit about what I'm doing. And you don't, don't include like a link to your book. I didn't just say, I wrote this book. It's going really well. I got married. Things have been really crazy. I've frankly been really 
not so diligent in keeping in touch and maintaining my relationships. Hence the reason for this email. No rush on the reply. I would love to catch up with you when you get a moment, but I understand you're busy. And if you don't have time to reply at all, I totally understand. And then you sign your name. And the reason the script is important, one, you got to sign your name. I mean, it's probably in your email, but if it's not, you don't want people going, who the heck is this? It makes no sense. The other thing that you want to do, aside from reminding them where you met to jog their memory, is to ask them about themselves, not just send them an update about you, because then it sounds like a Christmas letter from somebody you don't care about. And the other reason that we put the, the reason we do this sort of, hey, no worries if you don't have time to reply or no rush on the reply. We do that because when people are trying to sell things, they build urgency. They go, hey, get back to me when you get a chance. I've got something really interesting for you. And then you're like, great. Is it Scientology or Herbalife, right? Like, what are we, what are we dealing with here? What's the, big, what's the big rush? But when we say, no worries on the reply, I realize everyone's busy. Don't worry about it. That destroys urgency. And so that says, hey, I'm not selling you anything. And that really increases the response rate. And when I've tested this, it upgrades the response rate from something like 40% to 75% uh, in a different exercise, which I can give you in a little bit that has to do with the very similar kind of engagement. And so I highly recommend people go and do the layoff lifelines thing, perhaps right after this, if they have time. I love that. And really you're being authentic. You're owning your, you know, your, your responsibility for not connecting sooner. You're not, and you're not, trying to use a person. Isn't that the thing? Right. Yeah, exactly. This isn't, this isn't like a secret way. This isn't really like a secret way to get people to reply so that in the next email, you can say, can you sell my dog shampoo to your email <laughs> list? Right? So this is just the beginning of you digging the well before you get thirsty. This is no, just, I mean, hey, Jordan, I'm it's kidding. fine. I mean, I, the book, this, my, my third book just came out, but no, I'm not trying to sell it. Yeah. Juice Guru's juicing for rapid weight loss is a good purchase generally, if that's what you're into, I would imagine. But the reason that this is this is useful is because we are actually not reaching out with an agenda. Our agenda, if you have to pick one, is reaching out to re-engage people. And that's really it. You shouldn't have an agenda on the horizon because they will sniff it out. Helping other people without the attachment to anything in return, that is what really leads to a lot of useful social capital and, and referral currency in the future. So, Instead of ABC, where you're always trying to close business, always be closing, you're sort of ABG and always being generous or always being giving. And what this does, this actually makes it a lot easier to keep up with people because instead of going, oh, I should reach out to Steve, but I don't have anything that I really need from him or anything like that, so I'm not gonna. If I'm engaging people for the sake of just keeping up with them and perhaps figuring out who... I can plug in with you who's also in my network just to create referral currency. That's a huge bonus. So if I know someone else who's into the juicing thing, or if I know someone else who's got a health channel or health audience online, it's probably a pretty good introduction. And I would ask you both if that's a useful introduction. So that's the type of thing I'm trying to do. It's not like, well, if I introduce Steve to my friend Ben, then they're both going to owe me one. That's not really the conscious process. Right. The process is I'm going to help you guys out. And if in two years you find something that's great for me, then cool. But I don't have an attachment to anything in return. And that's important. 
How often are you keeping up with your networks and, you know, you're connecting with people and there's, you've, you've got lots of people all over the world. How often are you trying to keep up with them and maintain those relationships? So I do certain things every day and I, I probably don't contact people more than once every few weeks or every few months. It depends on which bucket they're in and I'll get into buckets in a bit, but it's oh, essentially okay. a time frame that I use to, to reach out to people. So closer friends, I'm like, okay, 21 days, right? But people that are sort of on the tertiary side of my business or friends that I have this relationship with where they live in another town, like someone like you where we're friends, but it's not like if I don't hear from you for a month, I'm not like, oh my gosh, is something wrong, right? I have you in like the 45 to 90 day bucket, if you will, where I get a little reminder that's like, hey, you, you may or may not have talked to Steve in a while. And I use Contactually for that, which is a CRM program that helps you with all your contacts and oh, interesting. people to, to get in touch. Yeah, Contactually is what that's called. But on a daily basis, see, what I'm trying to do when I teach this is not overwhelm people and be like, you need to spend 17 hours a week networking. Like, that's, that's not going to work. No one's going to do that. So every day around 9, 10 a.m. Pacific, I get out my phone and I scroll all the way to the bottom of my text messages. And the people at the bottom those are the people that you haven't texted in like two years, right? You met them once at a conference. You went to lunch with a group of other people. You probably never followed up with them because you sort of forgot they slipped through the cracks, whatever. Because if, mm-hmm. if you didn't, you would have been in touch already. And I'll send them that, a very similar text. It's like, hey, this is Jordan Harbinger. We met at Cafe Gratitude in San Diego like two years ago. I realized we never really ca- caught up with each other. I'm running the Jordan Harbinger show. I'd love to hear what you're up to now. No rush on the reply. Uh, Looking forward to hearing from you. That kind of thing has maybe a 70, 75% response rate. And generally it's like, oh, hey man, yeah, it's been a long time. You know, I was just talking with our mutual friend so-and-so and what I'm doing is I'm running, you know, hiking retreats for entrepreneurs who are busy and we teach meditation, whatever. It doesn't matter. The point is I'm keeping up with them and I say things like, oh, okay, uh, I actually have another friend who's doing a lot of camping trips for entrepreneurs. You guys might be interested in talking with each other because maybe you can go on his camping trips and maybe you can lead hikes and maybe you can combine leads. Maybe there's some synergy there. Are you interested in that? And so I would do a double opt-in introduction where I ask both parties if they're comfortable being introduced to one another. And if they both say yes, then and only then do I make that introduction. And what that does of course, you're making introductions. That's always good. But you're avoiding that whole like, hey, Steve, meet Jordan. And I'm like, yeah, we've been friends for 10 years. And then that person's kind of embarrassed. And then we all just kind of wasted our time. Or, hey, Steve, meet Jordan. And Steve's like, I kind of been avoiding Jordan for a while because, you know, he keeps trying to sell me this stinking dog shampoo and I'm over it. But thanks for putting him at the top of my inbox with UCC. So now he knows I got the email. That's cute. You know, or, hey, I'm out of the country for six months. Thanks for adding to my inbox annoyance when I get back. Uh, I'm not in a position to act on this. Thanks anyway. So you always want to make sure that you have permission to introduce both parties and you're not sending unsolicited introductions. And that's another way that you can showcase the value of, of the, the, the fact that you value their time. And also they'll take that introduction a lot more seriously because they've already given you permission, right? So that actually works really well. It's not going to be no one says, sure, introduce him to me. And then they just ignore it. Like that's pretty rare. But if I get an unsolicited introduction, I'll often archive it and be like, well, if the other guy replies, I guess I'll reply. But in the meantime, I'm not gonna, I don't, I don't have time for this because I'm just going to end up turning him down anyway. So let me just hope that he doesn't care either. And then we're over it. Right. Yeah. You're just, 
you're, it's causing anxiety for me because I'm realizing, wow, I have a lot of people I need to catch up with, you know, yeah. like, whoa, and that list is going to be overwhelming because then it's going to be like, oh, wow, I, I really, I see what you're saying. And it, mm-hmm. it's interesting how that played out for us when we went to Real Food Daily and I brought Paul Ryan in and I was like, hey, Jordan, here's Paul, the late Paul, because we yeah. lost him, but but it's interesting how it plays out in our own life. So yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing, really. It really is. And it's fully scalable. A lot of people are like, I don't have time to do all this. Hmm. And they're thinking, well, I don't have time to network because what they're thinking is, well, Jordan's saying help people and I'm a graphic designer. What am I supposed to do? Make free graphics for people? I'll go out of business. No, what you're supposed to do is make introductions and plug them into people in your network. You're not supposed to just network with people who need graphics and then do it for free. Right. Well, let's talk about the benefits of networking. No matter if you're an entrepreneur or stay-at-home mom or whatever you're, you know, whatever you're doing, let's talk about some what's on the other side because it sounds like a lot of work and people are saying, well, I'm so overwhelmed as it is and this is yet another thing to do. What's on the other side of the benefits of, of creating these networks? Yeah, you know, honestly, this is the highest leverage activity that you can have. And people don't really get that. They're like, no, uh, you know, making sales and working on my products is really high leverage. I can trace it directly to money. Okay, fine. But opportunities are really, really rare generally. And they are also really, really valuable. And the only way to get that is by having a wide and deep network. So broad and deep. So the way that you get opportunities, people are always like, man, you're so lucky. You, you had a satellite radio show. I'm not lucky. Somebody gave that to me because they had a guest spot. They didn't want to go and do another guest spot because they lived far away. I was the first person they called. I showed up. I was prepared for it. I got my own radio show on satellite. That wasn't like I won a ticket at Charlie's Chocolate Factory and ended up getting a, a radio show, right? And it's like, oh man, you get so many big guests on your show. How does that happen? Well, because I'm using warm introductions to get in touch with these people. It's not just the numbers, right? There are plenty of shows of the same size uh, or you know, even te- television shows that don't get the same caliber of guests as the Jordan Harbinger show. And the reason is because yes, I'm persistent, but also I'm getting opportunities by using my network to do it. So people are really, you know, they'll work on their business. They'll bust their butts for the next sale, which is great and very admirable. But what they won't do is work on the relationships that will get them up the totem pole to be able to network with people who can make them a thousand new sales with the snap of a finger because they just want to go straight to the top. You know, I can't even tell you how many people are like, I'm thinking of starting a podcast or something and I have this fledgling online business. How do I get on Joe Rogan, which is like the Oprah of our, you know, or how do I get on Ellen? It's like, um, well, you you could, but you need to figure out how to make that happen for yourself. You don't start there. You know, you're as, as entitled as you might feel to be there. You don't do that. You work and you network your butt off and you help other people for years and eventually things start to shake out. You're going to help 100 people. 90 of them are going to be unable, unwilling, or not even think of helping you back. And the 10 that do even the half of those are going to be nice. That was fun. And the other five are going to be, hey, would you mind coming to this incredible thing that I'm doing because you've helped me out so much? And that's where you like meet your wife or end up with a joint venture that turns into your main business or run into this social circle of other entrepreneurs that ends up changing the way you do business forever. It's a numbers game. And you can't just expect to buy one lottery ticket one time and win right? The people who win those things by, unfortunately, they buy hundreds and thousands of lottery tickets and eventually they win something sometimes maybe. And that's the exact same thing we're doing 
with the networking, mm-hmm. except that during, while you're doing this, your odds are a lot better of getting something in return and you feel good and you build social capital and you get a reputation as somebody who's value giving, which attracts the right kind of people into your life and into your business. Because if I find, if I hear that somebody's a taker, I will run. I will not even let them help me because I don't want them to feel like I owe them something because I just don't want anything to do with them. But if somebody's got a rep, a reputation as a, as a giver, I will help them all the time. They can help me. We can, we can create super connections together where we each know hundreds and hundreds of people. And that is kind of the gift that keeps on giving. But as soon as somebody turns out to be kind of a leech, you know, word travels fast and there's not really a whole lot of coming back from that. I like that social capital. That's one that you coined, isn't it? Uh, you know, I, I think that I coined it a long time ago, but I think a lot of people use it, so I'm not going to take credit for it. I, I remember you were the first. So um, you were going to mention the buckets and how we can, you know, I know we're running low on time here, but can you wrap up with that and how we can, I know we were going to go talk about so many different things, but Sure. We'd love to go deeper into that. Yeah. So I use both systematic and opportunistic network maintenance. So systematic is like contactually the CRM where I have these different buckets where it's, I I decide who is at what level in my life, you know, how do I need to keep in touch with these people, closer friends, business connections, PR people, guest bookers and things like that. And I use Contactually to tell me when I need to, when it's been a long time since I've talked to them and Contactually knows when I've emailed them. It knows when I've sent a message to that person. And I also use opportunistic network maintenance. So the system is like, I have this piece of software. This software tells me when I need to do this, right? That type of thing, that's systematic network maintenance. Opportunistic network maintenance is I use things that are already in place like Facebook or Instagram. The feed that I see on Facebook, you know, you see people like they have a kid, right? And you can click like, or you can comment on it or maybe you can email them, but nobody really sees something on Facebook and says, oh, I should text that person or I should call that person. We just sort of click like or write a comment. And that kind of communication on Instagram or Facebook, the algorithm has already shown that that person has life news, big news based on the fact that it's showing it in your feed in the first place. And so I like to engage higher on the totem pole. So if I see someone that has big life news, I don't click like, I don't just write a comment. I will try to text or call or even send them one of those little audio messages or see them in person if appropriate because it's a big deal. And so I'm using those algorithms to keep in touch with people at times in their life that are high leverage, right? So instead of just commenting or liking something, which I consider to be below the fold, you want people in your buckets to be hearing from you when it's important And also, of course, when it's not, but primarily when it is important for them to hear from you. There's a lot of noise, especially on social media. Someone gets married, they get like a thousand likes, 900 comments. You think they're going to be like, thanks for commenting on the photo of me and my wife. It's not going to happen. But they might remember that you texted or called because 20 people did that and half of it or more was family. Are you automating some of that? Like you mentioned software. That's all you're just doing that. I schedule it out during the week, but none of it's automated. I I don't have any software that's like, hi, name. Congratulations on your big (laughs) news, vague comments. I'm proud to be your friend, signed Jordan. I don't do that. It's funny because I'll get like these certain certain people, these birthday messages in Facebook and it's obvious year after year. It's the only time I hear from them and it's the same message every time. And I'm like, whoa, that's... 
they're not writing that. Yeah, I think a lot of people just cut and paste and things like that. I did Facebook birthdays for a while until it got overwhelming, and I, I was writing them, but people were like, nice bot, jerk, and I was like, this isn't worth the... This I, isn't I, worth I think I asked you that once. Yeah. I didn't yeah. call you a jerk, but I said, is this automated? You're like, no, it's me, Steve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was really, it really just started to be annoying because the only people that replied were people that I could just call and say happy birthday. And everybody else was like, <laughs> I'm suspicious. It's like, okay, go fly kite. Um, so I use both systematic and opportunistic network maintenance to make sure that I'm talking to people at the right time for them, but also in certain intervals so that I'm always top of mind and I'm able to figure out how I can help them get what they want done. And so if I'm talking to someone every 45 days or 90 days, I can keep up with their latest project, their latest launch. And then honestly, one of the biggest things I found was most people are big talkers, but don't take a lot of action. A friend of mine just launched his new, he has these blue blockers that are pretty stylish and he's launching a new model of these on Indiegogo. And he sent me an email and a text and he's like, can I get some support from you? I know you really love these. And and, and I did. So I actually did it. And he texted me and he's like, thanks for your support. And I was like, yeah, I assume a lot of people actually did this. And, you know, actually the person who ran the campaign was like, yeah, you'd be surprised. You, ha you end up with like this list of 100 people who say they're going to back you and support you and send out and blah, blah, blah. And then like 35 people do it because they're, they're you know, lazy, disorganized, or they just didn't mean it, or they're going to pretend they did it, but they didn't really do it. That kind of thing. And you know, if you, you can really just stand out by doing what you say you, you're going to do and being honest with that. And if you find that too many people are asking you for things, what you need to do is say no more. You know, if someone says, can you support my new thing? You go, actually, I can't really do this. I get too many requests. And if I do it for you, I'll have to do it for everyone. I'm sorry. Most people go, oh, that's okay. I understand. But instead, what we do is we go, sure. And then we don't do it. And they're like, wow, that person lied. So you, it's better for you to say, no, I can't, than it is to lie and say, I'll do it and then not do it. Mm. I think a lot of us are guilty of that. And so I just started saying no. And it was tough at first. And I realized most people respect it and it's totally fine. Mm. Great tips from Jordan Harbinger right here on Juice Guru Radio. Fascinating topic. We've never gone here before and I hope everyone's getting a lot of value out of this. So his website again is jordanharbinger.com. We did say we're going to talk about starting over and the anxiety of uncertainty. I don't know if we can close out on that, Jordan. That's like a whole other area about, because I know you've gone through those transitions and more recently you did too. Did you want to touch on that or do you want to give some final words of advice? I really feel like that's a whole another can of worms that might be really tough to dig into. But what I will say is, look, digging that well before you're thirsty, creating those relationships early on, it sounds a lot harder than it is, but with the texting engagement, with the layoff lifelines thing that I gave you, I actually have a whole course about this that's free. I don't know if I'm allowed to sort of plug Oh, that. you know, that would be great. So I created a, about a dozen, actually two dozen exercises like the texting engagement, like the layoff lifelines, and I made videos about them. If you go to advancedhumandynamics.com, you'll see the level one course. So advancedhumandynamics.com slash level one, or just click on level one at Advanced Human Dynamics. You can find that course and what it'll do is it'll sort of walk you through each of these. There's a little workbook and stuff like that. And it, it sort of gives you these baby steps to re-engaging your network and then making really getting these habits in place. And I think that stuff is that's really a, a life changing thing, because if I had been able to automate, uh, I shouldn't say automate, but create the buckets and automate the habit or create the habit 
that would have been a lot easier instead of just trying to figure out stumbling through this for a long time. But it, the one regret I have about networking and relationship development is just not starting it earlier. And I think everyone has that exact same regret. It's kind of like, you know, you want to invest in Bitcoin? Great. I wish you'd done it in 2012, I bet. And this is the only, again, the only area really that I can think of where you just cannot make up for lost time. You just cannot build relationships when you need them. And so when you create these starting now and you're just devoting minutes per day instead of trying to make it a whole big project, the dividends pay off in spades in the long run. Jordan Harbinger right here on Juice Radio. Jordan, thank you again for being here, the incredible work, the years of work. We're going to take some questions behind the scenes at the very end here. But to those listening on Facebook and Juice Guru Radio on iHeartRadio, we're going to have to sign off now. Thank you again, Jordan. Much success. Thank you for that. Thank you. I'm Steve Prusak, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Juice Guru Radio. Find out more about us at JuiceGuru.com. Until next time, get your juice on.